You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Merry Christmas, SG listeners. Welcome back to the drive-in series. We are doing Christmas movies this month, and I'm here to do possibly my favorite, Miracle on 34th Street. If it's not my favorite, then it's got to be It's a Wonderful Life. And we talked about that last year. So this year, Miracle on 34th Street will be my favorite. And I'm talking the 1947 version, not the 1994 that I didn't know existed until like yesterday. And I am Joshua Knoll, one of your co-hosts, also co-host of the Whole Church Podcast. And I am here with the one, the only, you know him, you love him, Joe Day. What's up, everybody? Yeah. And I, it was really funny. At first, it was literally just me trying to get anyone to do this movie with me because it's a little bit older. So our younger hosts, you know, TJ, Josh, and them, they haven't really been as familiar with this one. Will, the one that I should have been able to count on for some reason has never seen it. Just throwing that out there, Will. Shame on you. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. But but That's Joe fat, was the man. only volunteer. And then I watched it again yesterday and I was like, well, dang, Joe and I are actually the perfect people for the <laughs> for this movie we're getting these themes of anti-capitalism legal system and all this stuff and i'm like man that is right up our alley so i'm pretty excited for this um joe what are what are, what are your initial takes on on this movie getting to do this together and that kind of stuff so i uh i remember i was first suggested this movie um i don't know six, seven years ago by somebody. And I'm, I'm not, for those of you that don't know, uh, I, I just the past two years have been the first time that I've really appreciated much of anything about Christmas. So I'm not necessarily the type of guy that's going to go out and, um, seek out a movie uh, like a Christmas movie like that. Plus or minus the, the ones that I remember I have the nostalgia ties from my youth about and all of those kinds of things. And, uh, yeah, I, at first I saw, I saw this movie pop up on, on the sheet, uh, on, uh, on our, uh, schedule. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. And then I'm like, mm, I had a similar thought. I'm like, wait a minute, legal system, anti-capitalism because that's why it was suggested to me because <laughs> i am i am the worst business owner in in and capitalist in in this country because i i don't like capitalism and <laughs> so i i'm excited to see where a brain like yours goes with a movie like this all over the place yeah <laughs> there's so many big themes that's what this is like i feel like this isn't that like complex of a story or anything and we're talking about 1947 films typically they weren't but they had a lot of um was precious little intangibles or your lovely intangibles however however they say it in the movie and they have these huge themes that they're talking about throughout this sometimes really blatantly right. sometimes not as blatantly but that's what makes this click for me. It's a black and white film. It was in 1947. I was thinking about it earlier, and it's kind of funny. I realized there is every possibility that Lewis and Tolkien saw this in the theater together. Oh, yeah. They were in their I mean, 40s. Like, that's weird. I mean, you're right, but that doesn't seem like that should be a thing. That's just weird, right? Like, yeah. yeah what, why? why? <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about this. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt was uh, president. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? Well, there you go. It's it's like I said yesterday for it's like I said yesterday when I uh, when I recorded with Sari. I guess that's the mark of a really good film when you can see generations of different people 
talking about a film like this. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I can appreciate, especially as I've gotten older and appreciating cinema as a whole. Um, I am I am a huge cinephile. I, I, I like the history of movies, where we've come, all of those kinds of things. And by and large, you find a lot of the when, – when you look back past a certain point, you generally – the movies that do stand the test of time – especially movies like this that are among some of the more historic films, you find these through lines of either deep characters or deep story because you literally don't have anything else. You need all of the music to be in place. You need all of the cinematography to be on point. Because you don't have special effects and big budgets and all of those kinds of things, it's all very practical. It's it's, and that for for better and for worse, depending on what examples you look you look to, you you hear those whenever you hear those stories, you hear about these big complex productions where they go the extra mile to set up the perfect shot and all of that. So, on a lot of layers, I can look at a movie like this and say, yeah, that makes sense. That it does stand the test of time because it it a lot of the extras are boiled down. And when a lot of the extras are boiled down, if it's a good story, that's really going to shine. Yeah. And I, I think some of your limitations also impact some of the storytelling. Uh, when you're looking at something specifically like this one, there's a reason, part of the reason you don't see Santa Claus do all these cool magical stuff that you see in some of the newer stuff and really strutting his stuff. They couldn't do that anyway. So they had to fit him not doing these crazy things into the storyline which changes what you get from the movie. And you really sort of get, especially at the beginning, uh, instead of what if God was one of us, you're kind of getting a what if Santa was one of us story at first. And even just looking at the actor and everything. And it's funny because I associate this guy as Santa because I've watched this movie enough times throughout the years. But I'm also I was thinking about him like he's not really that jolly and round. He's not tall and huge. You know, he's not Tim Allen. He is just such an ordinary, unassuming looking guy. You know, I'm like, this is yeah. just a regular person, which is why they were able to sell throughout a lot of the movie where you're like, wait a minute, is he Santa? Is he not? Like, you're not sure when you first watch this, you're like, what, what is happening here? And uh, to, where, where I think Joe and I will disagree before we get into some of the crux of the film. I typically love these really older films. Like I mean, we mentioned during Halloween, I love Bride of Frankenstein, that kind of stuff when it's black and white. You lose me in the 80s and 90s. So that's why you don't see me in some of these This Christmas drive-in. I'm not going to do Home Alone. We're not doing Home Alone. But I didn't love A Christmas Story. A lot of these things, 80s and 90s, I was like, yeah, whatever. Even like really most Christmas movies don't don't pick me up unless they're like the older cartoons or these black and white films like It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street. And, and it's largely because it becomes more about the effects and making you feel this grandiose kind of feeling. And I'm like, that's not that's not what I'm here for. That's not, to me, what Christmas is about. But this film does a really good job, and it's something you guys talked about when you talked about A Christmas Story. It captures the Christmas spirit without being Christocentric. Right. So it doesn't go out and tell you the story of baby Jesus, but it is very much a film about the Christmas spirit up against the ideas of capitalism and marketing and having it all over the mall and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I think the way that I put it with with Will is it – captured the magic in a little kid's eyes for Christmas. And 
I think for for a movie like this, there's some of those same real life themes, even if they're not like the the exact points aren't translatable from film to film. My point is that that I think with a movie like this, you can capture those say that that same idea where you're capturing parts of the human experience in in relation to this holiday, because this holiday means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And the reality is that that's not always a good thing. And the when 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 you unpack Christmas films as a whole, you te- I have found that there tends to be three buckets. There are the Christocentric films. There are cotton candy, and they're the ones that that tell the story that that tell a story, I should say, not the story. So you've got like Charlie Brown Christmas, and you've got the eighty-seven really bad Christmas, poorly done nativity stories, and all of that kind of stuff in the Christocentric bucket. You have stuff like Santa Claus, and you have these different films that are um, cotton candy for the soul a little bit. <laughs> like they're just yeah. that you they're they they are colorful and, or or big pieces or whatever, and they came out in a time where that was really it. Like you said, eighties and nineties, where Saturday morning was basically a an action figure catalog put to cartoon animation. You know, and and all of that kind of stuff, and then you have these ones that that tell that tell a story that explore a theme, and and I guess I I don't know if it's because I've been I've spent more time without God than with God in relation, especially in relation to Christmas. That that I have a soft spot in my heart for a film that tells a story. That still subverts what the what what the standards are for for Christmas and the, the American experience around Christmas and all of that kind of stuff and and has more than just one dimensional characters more than just characters that are meant to be a plot point that's so so for me this is where the magic of telling a story around around the holiday really sets out. And honestly, for me, where I, the biggest movie that I juxtapose this, for, this movie with is a movie is uh jingle all the way with Arnold Schwarzenegger, because it's more of a modernized version of some of the same exact context, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about it. We, we needed that movie next year. That was a good one. Um, but yeah. So as far as this film goes, my own context is a little bit weird because I grew up loving Christmas and, you know, I still like Christmas, guys. I'm not saying I'm anti-Christmas. But, you know, as a kid, it was just all cool. You get all the presents. You have all the fun. You go see all your family. It was awesome. The older I get, and also, I have to be a little transparent. The more I love Thanksgiving, the more I'm like, wait a minute. Why can't we celebrate this holiday? Why are we skipping this? Why is Christmas decorations out early November now? You know, like, what is happening here? And then, you know, the older you get, all of a sudden, you have to be the one buying some of these presents. And that really changes some stuff. You're the one paying for the gas to do all the traveling. That really changes some stuff. And it's like, I still love Christmas, but I have some real aggravations concerning this capitalism marketing takeover of Christmas. And I think it's really tempting for a lot of us who are more on the grittier side of loving Christmas, I'll call it. (laughs) Um, A lot of us, it's really tempting to feel like, oh, this is a new thing and we need to get back to the way Christmas used to be. But then you watch this made in 1947 and see... People were attacking this mindset then. Yeah. The Thanksgiving parade was all about Christmas 
1947. And it's like, oh, it really opened your eyes. And to see it in this different context and being able to overlay those themes into our own world really is a powerful thing. So basically, this movie starts. You see some, you see this guy ends up being Santa Claus, but he shows up. He sees the guy who's supposed to be Santa Claus in the play. And he's like, hey, you're not me. What are you doing? You're drinking. You can't imitate me and drink on the play. <laughs> he gets really mad about it. Ends up taking over as Santa in the parade, thinking that he's actually Santa. Whether or not that's true, it's yet to be determined. Uh, he goes through the play. All the kids love him. He's like, oh, the real Santa. Macy hires him because, you know, he just took over as their Santa in the parade. And he ends up doing a great job of Santa at the stores, except he was doing really well because he was telling people. They were like, oh, does Macy's have this? And, you know, he was told to tell them, we don't have this, but sell them on something else. But instead, since he thinks he's Santa, you know, we don't have this, but they have it at a really good price. At <laughs> and he would just start directing people to all these other stores, had people really mad at him, whatever, until all of these customers are thanking Macy's and writing letters and calling like they've never heard of a store who would direct them somewhere else just to be able to find what they need for Christmas. And it ends up kind of turning the heads of what we think of works and capitalism to actually people really appreciate <clears throat> when you help them and you don't just try to sell them on a thing. Right. And I'll pause here in the story to kind of get Joe's take, because I am curious as someone who's more familiar with the marketing capitalism world, what was your take on that idea in the film? Uh, I... I... <laughs> I had to laugh because you you think about that from a practical standpoint and to give you guys an idea um my my day job so to speak what I what I do to build tents is I write marketing strategies for companies and in uh September I ran production for a webinar that was talking about Christmas and all of that kind of stuff because that's that's when that's when the Christmas season started for retailers and to conceive of a world especially at this point in time where these large multi-site multi-store conglomerates and juggernauts and yada 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 like no the, what we're looking at are some of the prototypes for what would become the large corporate entities and all of that kind of stuff to conceive of a world where a store like that would point people in other directions to spend money is, is ludicrous and asinine at best <laughs> in, in the secular world. I'm not saying that's, I'm not, that's not speaking to anything about how I feel about anything. Um, though, if you take my, my earlier comments into con into context, I am sure you could probably piece together how I feel about a thing, but <laughs> it's, it's to me just what it's one of the things that stands out about these old movies because it's such a novel thing it's such a such a <laughs> an isolated thing that actually unpack that actually unpack what it would mean to go and do something like that and how much that would change everything and and I think that's where the power of the storytelling is yeah and it's it's interesting because you see a lot of humanity in this. Yeah. And I, I think even maybe a good understanding of humanity where Santa is acting as this almost Jesus like character where he is. His goal is doing the right things, not making yeah. money or anything like that. And it's really interesting. He's pointing to people all the right ways and you think they're going to come down on him. But then it ends up being practically useful to them because people are like, actually, we want to go to a store that cares more about us. Yeah. And. Then the other stores start trying to compete with that. So then all of the stores are trying to outdo each other in kindness because that's where people want to shop at. And 
it's ridiculous. And it happens a few times throughout the movie where there's something that ends up working out to be the right thing, but humans aren't doing it to do the right thing. We're doing it because practically that that ends up helping me. So I'm going to throw a little bit of a uh, of an Easter egg out there for for those of you that trek along with what we do. Um, we appreciate you, but this is very much a deep cut for for longtime uh, SG fans. You know, Josh and I have not always seen eye to eye on the air. Um, <laughs> we uh, along along the way, we have had conversations about things like morality. Things like whether or not people can can do good, or or whether or not people are good, what the 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 value of people's actions, and all of those kinds of things. And generally, we would have we've had those conversations around Disney, as you guys have heard. For those of you that have <laughs> tracked with it, this is this is one of the few movies that can have me thinking and processing, like, huh, what if? What if people like Josh are right, that that the individual and their morality play matters that and because you you look at the ripple effects, this is not a Christocentric film, guys. Yes, as Christians, we can <laughs> sit here and say, oh, hey, servant, uh, a servant heart. It's it's almost like like that's that's how it's supposed to be. And all of those kinds of things. Yes, we can tie we can tie it into scripture, but. I don't even think we need to go down that road immediately because you ask this question of what if a person did that? What if for all of the times that we say, you know, do good, be nice, all of those kinds of things, be the change, all of that, what does this look like in, in practicality? And this is one of those movies that had me starting to maybe reconsider my more rigid stance on the value of, of the human's actions. And it's it's a really nuanced thing in this film too, though, and yeah. that that's what's interesting is, and this some of this I think makes sense using our Christian kind of line of thought. God created everything a certain way. He wanted us all to be His followers. So naturally, when we do things that are more in line with God's way, it should work out better, you know. Yeah. And I think that's what you're starting to see is doing stuff where you're looking out for people's good has this ripple effect, and other people are doing. Whether it's for selfish means or not, they're seeing that actually, practically, God's way does work out better. And of course, it's not called God's way in the film, but that's what it is, right? as far as I'm concerned. And it's just really interesting to see that. And then even when you go to like the legal stuff, I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself. It's really funny because you even get to points where they put Mr. Macy on the stand and straight up ask him, is this guy Santa Claus? And we all know he doesn't think that guy's Santa Claus. But how bad for business would it be if he said that? Right. <laughs> so he's willing to lie in court because he realizes it's so much better for him. Yeah. If everyone thinks that this guy's really Santa Claus and he works for Macy's. Right. 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 And I guess, I guess, yes. When you look at a, when you look at it from a, a wide angle view, it's very easy to plug and play the, the Christian verbiage the the that those concepts and that's what we know as christians when we drill into the nuts and bolts of the thing that that's that's where we are um that that's where we know like kind of the 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 directionality of it all is pointing you know what i mean we know that throughout history and i mean this tangibly that there are different points where you can see okay so we have this piece of Jewish literature 
that we know is the Bible that says, that tells its people, do this and you will benefit. And then we look to history and we see groups of people doing that and benefiting. Like nobody talks about the incredible amount of diseases that were rampant on the earth during the time of the ancient Israelites that the ancient Israelites didn't end up having to deal with because of the practices of the law. I'm just saying, not going down the apologetics road, but just saying that, yes, there is a layer of this conversation that we can take it from an aerial view and say, again, it's almost like this is the, the way it was designed. But but again, I just I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's interesting when you start to ask the question, at least for me, because I understand free will. I believe strongly in free will. I take that free will ball pretty far down the, down the field so people aren't people can choose to not do good even though they're saved and 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 to to know and and again d- d- now now let's now let's divorce from the christian concept and go back to the movie because this movie is not christocentric this is still this is still the story of somebody who made a choice at the beginning that ripple effects and you see the popcorn effect of, of what happens as a result of the choice of the individual. And to get this back to something you said earlier, it goes a lot to the the you know the biblical idea of, you know, to man, God's ways seem like folly. Yeah. You know, and man's foolishness is, you know, whatever. You see that here, right? Because to to us and our own human thinking, suggesting someone buy something from someone else could never help me. But you see, God's way makes that foolishness because you see that actually by helping people, they trust you more. Yeah. And that's that. then that seems to be, even though it's not talking about God's way again, it's just, it's not. But it seems to be the beat throughout this film of what we think of as intelligent, as the right way, as what is correct, ends up just not being. Right. And that's where we kind of get into this next beat of the story. So there's really, it kind of comes in three acts. Uh, and this next part, you get this where Chris Kringle, <laughs> whatever you want to call him. Um, he, you kind of see his motives, why he's in New York. He's feels as though people have lost their Christmas spirit. They all about buying stuff and they're all about marketing and competing and all this now. And he kind of wants to know what's up. And he ends up making his own personal mission because in this Santa Claus is very human. He has very like human weaknesses kind of stuff, you know, where he feels some kind of way that people wouldn't choose Christmas, that people wouldn't choose the right way, all that. And he ends up making his personal mission to have, why can't I think of their names? The two female leads, the uh, the mom and the daughter. And the mother is Doris, and she is um, she's taught her kid not to believe in fairy tales, not to believe in Santa, not to believe in any of this. Because, you know, if you get your hopes up with these kind of lies, then you're just going to get disappointed later on in life, that kind of stuff. Right. We hear that line – I hear that line a lot within Christian circles where people don't want to lie to their kids about Santa Claus or tell them stuff about Halloween and they don't let them participate in the holidays – and here, Santa Claus is actually really concerned about that. It's like, okay, but this child's missing out on this whole thing called imagination. And that's actually a wonderful gift. Um, we're in the year of Lewis. Lewis has a whole doctrine about imagination and how powerful it is to think about story. And not to diverge from the Christian norm, I personally do think it's okay to tell your kids about Santa Claus. I don't think there's anything wrong if you tell them it's not real. I don't have one way or the other, but let your kid have some fun. Let them make believe that there's this jolly guy coming on their route. You know, like, come on, guys. Yeah. Um, but here, she doesn't let her kid believe that. She doesn't want her to know anything about fairy tales. And he's like, okay, but I am Santa Claus. <laughs> and he's like, I, I, what do I have to do to convince you? And this 
and he makes it his personal goal that if he can convince these two that he thinks he can have faith in humans again. So he makes it his goal to convince these two people that he is Santa Claus. And the daughter asks for something. And he's like, I'm Santa. He can get her anything. And of course, what she asked for is a house. <laughs> he's like, oh, not sure if I could do that one. And she's like, because you're not really Santa. And OK, so the story goes on. You kind of in, you end up getting into act three pretty quickly, in my opinion, where he gets disappointed because people are questioning his, his sanity. He thinks the mother is in on it. So he's like, oh, I failed. I can't convince them that I'm really Santa. He's in the insane asylum. Guy comes to him. is like, they never said that. And this whole time. You have the guy who is Doris's boyfriend, I guess. I don't know what what you call him. Yeah. Um, is that that's Fred, right? The love interest, yes. Yeah. Okay. So Fred is a lawyer, and he's like, okay, well, here's the deal. We need to get you out of this now. Now that you realize that they never said this, and you want to go back to them, there's actually a legal case on our hands. We have to do something here. And they show up to court, and you expect it to be, you know, the state versus him, and the state's going to be like, of course he's insane. He thinks he's Santa Claus, and he, because you know, they make this argument throughout the movie, he's like, well, you can, you can believe you're something, and you know, whatever, and that not be dangerous, and you kind of think that's going to be his argument, but instead he comes out and goes, I think this guy is Santa Claus. That's my argument. He really is Santa Claus, and if he really is Santa Claus, it's not insane to say he's Santa Claus. So he makes it his mission right. in court to prove that this guy is Santa Claus, <laughs> and. That's the part I think most people know about this movie. Yeah. Also, it's absolutely absurd. None of this is how the court system works, even a little bit. <laughs> but whatever. We're just going to dismiss that. and watch. It's just a fun movie. We're just going to roll with it, right? I <laughs> I find the arguments really funny. Anyway, they're going back and forth. He brings out the other lawyer's kid. And he's like, oh, well, who's Santa Claus? You know, and when the other guy's kid is like, my daddy told me Santa Claus is real. He would never lie to me. And that's him right there. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, anyways, they end up having to prove that Chris Kringle here in the court is the one and only Santa Claus. And because of the mail system gets all these letters from different kids who've been watching it on the news or whatever, I guess, that says Santa Claus, the court of New York, the U.S. mail system delivers was like 5000 letters to Santa Claus at the court. And the lawyer ends up using that to say, well, that is an official, you know, department of the government, which is true. And they are clearly recognizing him as Santa Claus. Thus, he must be the Santa Claus. So it gets off on that kind of technicality. Yay, the day is saved. They all have a Christmas party. The kid's all disappointed because she didn't get her house. Then Chris Kringle gives them directions to another party or something. I forget exactly what it is. But it ends up that the directions go to a house that looks very similar to the one that the girl showed him that she wanted. And they go in, it's for sale, and the parents are like, you know what, let's just get it for, you know, not the parents, Fred and Doris. So it seems as though they're going to live together unmarried. Hopefully they get married at some point, I guess. Whatever you want to think about that. And as they've decided it, they notice something. Chris Kringle's cane is leaning up against the fireplace. And that's where the movie leaves you, where you're like, oh, this whole time we weren't really sure whether he really was Santa or not. And then they leave you that. And you're like, well, I guess he must have been, right? I guess he was. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a lot of fun. I think, I think what's really funny about that is if he has the magic to go up the chimney, he could have just escaped prison and the court whenever he wanted, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah. So that is, that's the gist of the film. Um, did you have anything that I skipped over you wanted to... No, I think that's I think that's about the size of it. I think for most people, they know the the court case on. But yeah, I mean, there's 
there's like a whole other part that I would argue is way more significant that happens before any of the the court case stuff that I think that uh, if if you are going to if you are given to to enjoying uh, Christmas movies, I think that's the part of the conversation that you like. That's the part of the movie that's that's more meaningful and people should see. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. the The whole part of what it means to do the right thing at Christmas time for businesses, for individuals, all of that. That that's yeah. where the movie really shines. Um, there, there's one other theme I wanted to get your take on. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's something that might concern us both, but maybe not necessarily in this context. So I find, I find it a little weird. The mother tells her, you know, because she, whatever, he must not really be Santa Claus, all this stuff. And the mother's like, actually, I do believe he's Santa Claus now. And she tells her daughter at one point, even if you're disappointed and things didn't work out, you still have to keep hoping. As a Christian, that's something that I, I, I agree with that part, right? Like, yeah, of course, we have things in our lives that don't work out. And that doesn't mean God's not real. You still have to hope in God. You still have to hope in Jesus and trust that there is a reason things didn't work out a certain way, whatever. I think what concerns me, though, is she's told that again by Santa Claus. And at the end, she's like, I really believe, I really believe, I really believe. And then she gets the house. And what throws me off is, is yes, it's, it makes for a nice bow on the story, wraps it up really nicely, and we could see he's really Santa Claus. But I think there's a little bit of danger in telling the story of if you hope enough and you believe enough, whatever you want is going to end up being yours. That seems a lot like, and I know this isn't a Christian movie, so it doesn't quite go there, but it feels similar to prosperity gospel, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when you only have a a limited time to tell the story that you're trying to tell, and you aren't necessarily, and you you aren't necessarily as concerned with pinpoint accuracy, you can end up with rather clunky concepts like that i can i can get it right i can dig it i i understand that as um a human as innately human right hope yeah you know hope is one of those things that that that's the that's a difference maker and that's that's part of what i think unfortunately doesn't get talked about nearly enough by christians is hope Namely, because hope is something is a word that kind of gets thrown around a lot within the circles that it almost feels like it it loses some of the the gravity that that belongs to it. And with something like this, I can see the fact that all they're trying to do is say hope, have hope, which in and of itself isn't the problem. And maybe this is a, this is a case of us being warped by the things that we need to deal with on a regular basis as modern day Christians. But for me, I guess I would articulate it just a little bit differently. It matters what you're putting your hope in. It matters the substance yeah. of the thing that you're putting your hope in. And so just saying blanketly, you have to have hope. You need to understand what you're putting your hope into. You know what I mean, yeah. and and all of that. So so yeah, just blind hope. Uh, I mean, I guess there's virtue in having in in being a hopeful person, but I do think that's dangerous when you when you extrapolate that out to some of its possible conclusions. Yeah, I think it's important that we believe in God naturally. We believe in the true Christmas story. I think it's even cool if kids believe in Santa. 
I do think what come, becomes dangerous is I believe that God's going to give me yeah. whatever you insert here. Right. That's not biblical. That's not justified anywhere. But when, when you're talking about the, the virtue part, yes, there is danger here. But there is that virtue part of hope. You get to my favorite line of the movie, and it's Doris and Fred are arguing, you know, because she doesn't like that he's basically throwing his career away to defend that someone is Santa Claus when there is no such thing as Santa Claus, whatever. And he says this. Look, Doris, someday you're going to find that your way of facing this realistic world just doesn't work. And when you do, don't overlook those lovely intangibles. You'll discover those are the only things that are worthwhile. And that, that's where this movie shines for me, because, you, you know, I, I tend to be on the realist side a lot of a lot of the time. I want to face the world as it is. I don't want to, you know, act like it's not something that it is. But when all you ever do is sit in what the world is and you never are willing to think of these greater things when we're watching our movies of love, of hope, of these encouraging, inspiring things to get through the realistic world. If all you're doing is thinking about the realistic and never thinking of these greater themes, you're going to find you can't get through this world. (laughs) This world is evil. It is dark. If you don't have something a little bit more intangible, a little bit higher themed, I don't see how you can make it. Yeah, um, I believe in a thing called escapist media. Um, I I understand that not everybody does. I understand that for some people, they want every they want every single thing that they that they consume to be dripping with the realities of the world. And if that's your bag, and if you can sleep at night, um, I guess more power to you. Uh, I don't see it. I don't get it. And I think sometimes it's okay to just tell a story or to just you know, just be and, and without, without their, without their needing to be this tie back to the realities of the world, because the realities of the world are that Christmas is a very challenging time for a lot of people. It's, it just is. And that's nestled within the realities of this world is a very challenging place for a lot of people. You know what (laughs) I mean? And so, yeah, there's, there's there's beauty in a little magic, and I do understand what I just said, and I do understand that there are some people that are going to lose their mind when they hear me say that. But why? Okay, I'll say it a little bit differently. There's magic, or, or there's beauty in a little bit of wonder, right? What happens if 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 people have just a little bit of wonder about a thing, you know? Yeah, and that's where I say usually either this or It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite Christmas movie. I'm going to get a little vulnerable on air here. I lost two of my grandparents this year. It's a Wonderful Life is a little bit harder to watch this year for me because it's showing you what happens when someone's not there. And I'm like, "Ah, that's not something I want to think about. And I could sit here and the realities of Christmas is different and we need to figure out how to do Christmas without them. And what does that look like? And of course, we're going to figure that out. But if I don't take the time to watch these movies that uplift themes that are bigger than reality, like hope, like the spirit of Christmas, whatever that may mean to you. It's just unbearable for me. Yeah. So I truly appreciate it. I love these little lovely intangibles, as the movie calls them. And this movie meant a lot to me this season. And I hope if you haven't seen it, that you will. And if you have, that you'll watch it again. And I hope it means a lot to you, too. Yeah, yeah. I I think this is one of those films that if you appreciate cinema, if you appreciate Christmas movies, if you appreciate movies that that generate a larger message – listen to or watch this watch this movie um and if you've already watched this movie if you've seen it before watch it again um for those of you that are of a particular vintage we mentioned we mentioned it before uh 
there was a remake that came out in 94 with that starring the little girl from Matilda. So that's also an option. Watch the original though. It's, it's better. <laughs> uh, I've never seen the, the new one, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine a world where I've, I haven't seen the, seen the remake either, but I can't imagine a world where they did it better than, than the original, but yeah, at least in this case. Um, but yeah, you know, it, and if, uh, if, if my co-host in the, in this venture, will will humor me for a moment um oh take uh, movies like this and there's a small handful of them there there's more than just this for me for me i'll just be just pulling back the curtain a little bit my version is the charlie brown christmas story um yeah that's good and yeah um i meant what i said this time for a lot of different reasons for a lot of different people is a challenging one and take the breath to stop and to consume something that lip that lifts up a concept bigger than us. Friends, the 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 hole, the rabbit hole is what are we gonna do about this? What's this gonna look like? What am I gonna buy this person? What am I gonna do? You know, all of those kinds of things. That's all that that's the trap. Allow yourself to rest in in hope in a large concept like that. Oh yeah. I think that's a it's a strong note to end on. Um, I know you have a question you need to ask me, but I have something I want to ask you. In October, you and TJ did Drinks with Tejas, and you talked about your love of pumpkin spice, and that is your flavor of the season. I, even though I'm not a huge Christmas guy, peppermint is my jam. Yeah. The the second Thanksgiving meal is over, I'm looking for my peppermint mocha. And now I know it's available year-round, but it's not the same. Yeah. How do you feel about peppermint, the flavor? <laughs> uh, I know that's a really weird question. But. No, it, it's it's legit. Um, I think peppermint is probably my second, the second in in behind uh, uh, pumpkin. Mm. Yeah, we we had to postpone this from nine to nine thirty so that I can make a, a peppermint coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so only appropriate that I asked. <laughs> yeah, I I can appreciate. Um, peppermint coffee in particular, I am a huge fan of, but even like peppermint flavors outside of coffee, I like. Oh, yeah, I have peppermint chocolate cookies in the fridge I'm going to make later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to wrap up today, um, every SG drive-in has a very pressing question that we ask everybody who comes on. And so this year we asked the hard hitting questions, Josh, real tree or fake tree? I prefer real. But my house, it's not that my house is small, it's that the rooms in the house are small, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we'd have to remove, like, remove furniture to make room for a big tree. So we ended up, ironically, last year I was working at the mission house with my church where we took donations from Lowe's that they didn't want and we would resell them. And at one point they had a very tall but narrow tree and it fit perfectly at my house. So, so we have that fake tree that just happens to fit very well in our home. It was a small Christmas miracle. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So I grew up with uh, with a real tree, but like I I will now sing the praises of fake trees. Don't get me wrong; I love the smell of pine. I lo- I love it. I understand that's the value. I understand the value of of a real tree. However, there is one very very key reality: is that with a fake tree. I don't need to go through and vacuum up pine needles <laughs> and worry about stepping on pine needles. I'm just saying. Anyway. Plus you have cats. Plus I have cats. And, and cats like to eat trees and yes. plants for some reason. 
Yes, one of our one of our cats is an avid, um, attempting to be an avid uh, vegetarian and trying to eat plants as she can. Um, <laughs> great, great stuff. Yep, yep. Well, with that, then, guys, uh, we wish you a very merry Christmas. If you want to hear more from us, go to systematicecology.org. Both of our names are under the host tab. You can see all the other episodes we do. And remember this one important thing for us, that we're all a chosen people, a geekdom of... This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.